Try that again. There we are. Uh, good morning. Thank you for that. That was a lot of energy. I need that. It's good to be with you uh, again this morning uh, to be able to gather together to sing and to pray, to enjoy the company of one another, this fellowship that we get to share in, and we get to come to the Word together. Before we do that, I want to just make a quick announcement. In two weeks from today is uh, Sunday, uh, June 25th, and it's our annual meeting. For those who have been at Trinity for a lengthy period of time of any kind, know that uh, we usually shoot for the end of June for our annual meeting as we begin a new fiscal year on July 1st and so forth. It's a good time to catch up on our business, to recap the things that were, and to look forward to the things that are coming ahead in the year. Um, so our annual meeting will be following the worship service on Sunday, June 25th. Uh, we'll share a meal, we'll hear updates from our various ministries, and we'll vote. Uh, we vote on nominations for elders and for trustees. Uh, our elders are the team of, uh, that is set aside to help shepherd uh, and lead uh, through shepherding, and our trustees are the, our team that uh, leads through stewarding and care. And so uh, we have a few um, nominees for our trustees uh, that are new to the trustee team. Uh, and so their nominees, these nominees are Bill Davis and Gary North. And so as you think about uh, that, as we come to the meeting in two weeks, uh, we'll be voting on Bill Davis and Gary North for trustees. We have uh, no new elders uh, nominations, but we do have a number of elders up for renewal. And those elders are Brian Erickson, Chip Lorig, Jeff Minch, and Robert Rodriguez. Uh, all four have happily and joyfully served these many years and are eager to do that again. And so those will be up for vote at our annual meeting in two weeks. We'll send out an email that date that and to share that with you all. Um, we would also encourage you if you haven't yet um, to sign up for the fellowship meal time uh, on our website, uh, just to helps us with numbers in terms of preparation. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, if you are not a member at Trinity, uh, you are still invited to be a part of that. Just know that when it comes to our voting time, that is reserved for our members. Uh, but you can certainly come and hear uh, the things that have been going on in our church and where we're hopeful to go in the year and years ahead. All right. That being said, why don't you grab your Bibles and turn to the very end of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We are wrapping that up today. This is the last of it. Uh, this is the last sort of two little paragraphs at the very end uh, of this letter. A remarkable letter, an encouraging letter. And our hope is that we end with encouragement. That these final gospel encouragements would be just that for us. Encouragements. And so we're going to be looking at verse 21 to the very end, verse 24. Now let's hear God's word. <clears throat> so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this most remarkable letter. 
And as we spent these many weeks looking at it, we've been encouraged again and again. And I pray that today would be no different. And so would you encourage our hearts as we consider these closing words, as we consider the summary that these words represent uh, to what was covered in the letter, may it be good for us and glorifying to you during this time we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's what happens here. We end where we began. We end with the words that we began with. If you looked in your Bible or scrolled up or turned a few pages over, you'll find that Ephesians begins with the words, grace to you and peace from God. And the words that we just closed with, the last words of this letter, that book and the, the letter are more peace and grace from God to you. And all the words in between, all the things that the Apostle Paul was writing about is, is a, a, a deepening and an under, a describing of the scope of what God has provided by grace and in peace. God has provided is incredibly and definitely and actually fully sufficient for our lives. And if there's a letter in the Bible to, to drive that home, it's this letter, Ephesians, that just shows it again and again. We've talked about it in ways that um, we've tried to couch it in ways that help us see that what we believe and how we live are all to be shaped by and fueled by the gospel. And so the final words of this incredible letter serve as a final call of gospel-shaped and fueled encouragements. And just like how we began in the fall in Ephesians, yeah, that's when it began in the fall. Sorry about that. Not really. It's a great letter. We began with a gospel grammar. And this gospel grammar informs our gospel doctrine and fuels our gospel culture. So guess what? We're going to close with some more gospel grammar. And this gospel grammar is going to hopefully encourage us. We have some prepositional encouragement that's found in our passage. That my hope is that we would be encouraged to live in light of all that God has provided through the gospel. And this letter unpacked so much of it. And as we do that, we'll find that these encouragements are encouragements for life and encouragement from God. They're for something and they're from someone. The kind of encouragements that we need. They're for something and they're from someone. So it's encouragement for life and encouragement from God. So let's jump in and look at encouragement for life. What is the aim of this encouragement? Well, that's just it. The aim is for us to be encouraged. While it might seem like a practical sort of unrelated to me kind of end of the letter when, when the Apostle Paul starts talking about some details with the Ephesian church and who he's sending back, don't overlook it. Don't overlook this because in it, we see that we too are to share in these encouragements. Again, verse 22. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. So the Apostle Paul, if you remember, is arrested. He's writing from that imprisonment, and he's sending Tychicus back with this letter. In fact, there's three things. He's sending him back with the letter. This letter that we just went through is a letter to be read and shared to the churches in the region of Ephesus. 
He was to also go back, secondly, to update them on Paul's situation. That while he is arrested, it's not terrible. The gospel's still doing good work. And so Tychicus goes back with that sort of update on Paul's situation. In all of that, this letter and that update is to encourage their hearts. That's what it says at the end of verse 22. To encourage your hearts. So Paul is wrapping up this letter with the aim that it would bring encouragement to the receivers of this letter. So we're included in that in later in time and space, obviously. But we are to also be encouraged that all that we considered over these many weeks and months is to encourage our hearts. But what does it mean to then be encouraged? What does it mean to be encouraged? The word for encouragement is from the same root word that we would get comfort or the word that we would have for the comforter or the Holy Spirit. It's a word that means to comfort, to strengthen, and to equip. It's not just that we would feel better, though that certainly can be a part of it, but it's that we would be comforted by the truth of all that God has done, that we would be strengthened by all that we have in Christ, and that we would be equipped to live out our lives in a world that's hard. And so to encourage means to to be comforted, to be strengthened, and to be equipped. The kind of encouragement that can do that is the kind of encouragement you find in the gospel. This encouragement is centered on and sourced by the gospel. In the letter that we considered unfolds the scope of the gospel and the sufficiency of the gospel for our lives. That God has truly provided for us richly and abundantly in all that he has provided for us through the gospel. Now, you and I, we know that much of life and the things in our hearts can discourage us. It can discourage us. But as we see here in the letter and as we think about Paul's situation that he's arrested for preaching the gospel and planting churches. That what we have in both the doctrine of the gospel and the culture of the gospel are means by which we, you and I, can actually be encouraged, be comforted, be strengthened, and be equipped. The the doctrine of the gospel, that which we believe of it, is to comfort us, is to strengthen us, is to equip our hearts to live out our faith. And the culture of the gospel in the life of a church is to encourage us to better know and live out all that we have received from God. We need both the doctrine and the culture. Because at the heart of being encouraged, to being comforted and strengthened, and equipped is that we are being built up, that we are being built up, that what we believe and how we live out what we believe is to build us and others up, not to tear down, but to build up. That what we believe is so good that it builds us up to how we live that out together. Builds up, not tears down. If a church 
washes out what it believes because maybe the culture around it rejects the church and what it believes, it will not be a place that can encourage us. If we scrub it all off to make it more palatable for the world around, we won't be a place that will encourage us in our faith. Also, if a church becomes more focused on what it's not or what it's against, a church becomes more focused on how it's not like the culture around or like other churches, well, that's certainly not going to be the kind of place that's going to encourage hearts either. Both what we believe and how we live that out are to be shaped and fueled by who God is and what he has done for us in the gospel. So instead, a church needs final gospel encouragements are to take seriously and joyfully what it believes and take seriously and joyfully how it lives out what it believes, knowing that that will be means by which we can encourage our hearts and the hearts of others. A pastor who I referenced a few times throughout this series, uh, he really zeroed in and drilled in on these ideas of how gospel doctrine and gospel culture shape a church. He put it this way, when the gospel message, doctrine, works its way into the hearts of a congregation, it will begin working itself out of that congregation and its culture. Meaning, That which we believe and encourage our hearts with is going to do good work in us. It's going to comfort us. It's going to strengthen us. And it's going to equip us. And that's going to be at work. And we're going to change. And we're going to want to 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 encourage others. And it's going to start coming up out of us in the way that we live. So God is at work in us and and at work in is going to begin working out in the culture of our church. Orland famously put it this way, gospel doctrine plus gospel culture equals the power of God at work in the church. That if you were to take away any of that equation, then, then we are losing the means by which we can have hearts that are encouraged even as we face a variety of obstacles in this world or have a variety of obstacles in our own hearts and lives. We, the whole point and what I'm trying to say is we, we desperately need both. And that's where Paul is encouraging them. He's sending this letter. He's updating them on how God is at work in him and through him so as to encourage their hearts. And the same is for us. We need to be encouraged, comforted, strengthened, equipped. So I ask you to ask yourself some questions. Like in what ways are you needing this kind of encouragement? Have you, over time and busyness in life and all the things that can fill all the margins in your life, have you neglected the scope and the sweetness of gospel doctrine in your life, the things that we believe? Or does belonging at a church, specifically here at Trinity, seem intimidating to you, vulnerable, risky? Or maybe positively ask yourself, how has this letter convinced you of how much God cares for you and for his church, that he has supplied so much for us in the person work of Christ and the power and the presence of the spirit? Do we believe these things and are we eager to live them out together? 
In what ways do we want to grow? In either what we believe or how we live it out. We have encouragement here for life, for all of it. It's found in this letter. It's found in all that God has done for us. And that's just it. That for life encouragement that we receive is because of the from God encouragement. That we have encouragement not just for something, but we have encouragement from someone. The source of our encouragement is where Paul closes the letter out. The last words are set there. The source of our encouragement and all that we have received from God. As you see there in verses 23 and 24, we've received peace, love, and grace. And those aren't empty words that you would find sort of stenciled on a coffee shop. They actually have great depth and meaning to them. We've seen them play out over the course of this letter. These are incredibly important words to God. And they have been most incredibly displayed through his saving ways. So let's take a minute to just get a quick survey of how peace and love and grace were major themes through this letter. First of all, peace means well-being. It means the well-being. It's not just simply the absence of conflict, though it includes it. There is a removal of conflict, but it is also the restoration of well-being. And so when we see the Bible, especially, and Paul using the word peace, he has in mind not just simply removal, though it is included, but also the restoration of well-being. Seven times throughout the letter, we find peace used to describe what God has done, and also to describe how that shapes how we are to live. You find peace in Ephesians 1-2, and then you find it in a significant way in chapter 2, the outworking of the gospel and the redemption of people from all kinds of places coming together. In verses 14, 15, and 17, we'll see those in a moment. We see it again in chapter 4, verse 3, chapter 6, 15, and our verse here, chapter 6, 23. And then this removal of conflict and restoration of well-being, God is bringing about um, spiritual peace, emotional peace, relational peace to be effective in our lives. Spiritually, we see that this peace is, first of all, with God. It's a peace that we have with God. The removal of conflict with God, the restoration of our well-being with God because of the saving work of God. And this is announced to us, and we see in Ephesians 2.17. He, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. That any sense of restoration of well-being is because of who Christ is and what he has done. Spiritually, we have this with God. We also know this peace ourselves, personally, or emotionally even. Because of the benefits of what God has done for us. And the benefit that God is for us. Ephesians 2.14 begins with these words. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace. He is our peace. And a sense of deep well-being is found in Jesus. In knowing Jesus, being known by Jesus. He is our peace. And then from that, relationally, we see that others 
we can have relationship with others because of the peace that we've experienced with God spills over. Ephesians 2.15. He might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. The outworking of God's purposes in our lives is to bring about a deepening experience of this sort of well-being. This is the kind of encouragement that we have from God. He has provided us this sort of peace. We also receive from God the encouragement found in his love. Again, a word that means so much more than at first glance. A love that is ultimately life-giving. It's a love that is ultimately life-giving. It's used 14 times throughout the letter. It conveys to us a number of things. First of all, it conveys the, the deepest, most intentional kind of love. That there is a, a greatness to the love that God has for us. The love received from God. Ephesians 2, 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, it's greatness is unsearchable. Its scope is unending. And he is actively and intentionally and purposefully loved us with a love that can't be like measured. This is what we've received from God. It's also the basis of what God has done because it flows from the deepest kind of love. So in Ephesians 4, at the very end of 4 and the beginning of 5, it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. The very overflow of his love shows up in his purposes to bring us into his family, that we would be precious sons and treasured daughters. And then, not only that, the love we have received from God is to shape the love we share in together. In Ephesians 5, it says, walk in love. In the community of God's people together, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We've received this from God. He, it's the overflow of who God is, and he's poured it out on us. We have received this. This letter unpacked that and shows us that again and again. And then thirdly, lastly, we see that we've received from God grace, unmerited favor. We did not do things that God looked and saw, oh, that's pretty good. And so I'm going to kick in and, and kind of finish it off for them. It's unmerited favor. 13 times throughout the letter, evenly balanced throughout the letter, both in the here is our gospel doctrine, we see grace. And then also here is our gospel culture and we see grace. And what we find here is that grace is the riches of God's favor toward us and for us, for his people. The riches of God's favor toward his people and for his people. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. This is what we've received. The riches of God's favor toward us and for us. And it's also, grace is the effectiveness of God's favor for our salvation. It's the effectiveness of it. It's rich, it's unending, it's effective 
Ephesians 2.8 famously says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. This is what we believe in. This is to shape how we live. Because that also is the manner in which we treat each other, is to be in line with the manner in which God has treated us. So our gospel doctrine, we believe these things about God's grace, is to show up in our gospel culture how we treat and interact with each other. Practically, he walks through that in, in, for an example in Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That the culture of our church, the way that we live out, the things that we believe together, would be so seasoned with grace that it would build others up as they experience it and hear it in life together at Trinity. All of that, that's very fast survey of these key words that close out this letter, that sort of bookend where Paul started in this letter, are to show us that everything that we have received from God, the encouragement from God, is the fuel that we have for encouragement in life, to live it out together, what we believe and how we live. And I just want to stress this, and I hope you've heard it throughout the entire time we were in this letter. All of this is truly and completely sufficient for us. For all of the things that we face this side of glory. There is a whole spectrum of experiences in this life. Joys, incredible opportunities, wonderful and meaningful relationships and friendships and togetherness. There are sorrows. There are great losses, unexpected There's trauma and devastating hurts that are so hard you can't even really put words to them. There's the slow drip of dreams fading away of what you thought or hoped your life would look like. The gnawing discouragement that you have struggling against habitual sin. All of life is filled with all of those things. In many ways, we try to escape it, but we can't. We can't. We need encouragement in the face of it, in light of it, as we go through it. We need our hearts to be comforted. We need our hearts to be strengthened. We need our hearts to be equipped because Because one week of our life could have all of those things that I just rattled off. What tethers us? What anchors us? What holds us? Not just individually, but us as a people together as we are in each other's lives. Well, the things that we believe about who God is and what he has done, they matter. And how we live this out together, it it matters. And all that God has provided is sufficient for this. And while we can experience destructive things that disorient our view and faith, and while we can be distracted by good things, stunting our intentionality to live out what we believe, 
And while we can be discouraged, again, by that slow drip of a fallen world and drift from our source of encouragement, I hope and I pray that we will see here in this letter and all that God has done, all sufficiency for all of life. If you're in any one of those situations or all of them combined, if they're true of you, please know that what we have received from God, this peace, this love, this grace are not empty words. They're absolutely needed and truly sufficient to sustain you, to strengthen you, to comfort you, to restore you, and to encourage you. It may be a long and challenging road that's ahead for you, and it probably won't be easy. But the scope of what God has provided will last for all eternity. And so while you might be going through your stuff, other people in this room are going through stuff too. And when we get together on a Sunday morning, we're a whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of stuff. So what are we going to offer to each other? That's greater than all the stuff that we've collectively gathered. What are we going to hold out to each other that transcends all the stuff? How are we going to speak with one another that brings timely encouragement in the face of the stuff? Well, our guidance, both in content and character, are found here in this letter. Found in all that we have received from God. And while we might face a lot of hardships or a lot of struggles or a lot of chronic pain or a lot of broken relationships, while we might see dreams die, this side of glory, we have something to encourage each other every time we meet together. Every single time. And that is far greater. And sometimes... That sweetness of it is just enough to bring that timely encouragement as we face all the things and all the stuff. At the end, it's a call to not lose heart. To not lose heart. Paul wants to encourage their hearts. He doesn't want them to lose heart. He said this elsewhere in a very powerful way. That Gospel doctrine and gospel culture can bring this into our lives, this sort of hope, this sort of response of not losing heart. In his letter to, the second letter to the Corinthians, he wrote these words. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Gospel encouragements. For this light momentary affliction life in this world is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Let us encourage each other with these words, this content, this character, may it shape what we believe and how we live out what we believe. Because no matter what marks our days and throughout all of our days together, let us endeavor to be a church family that clings to the sweetness of gospel doctrine and pursues the goodness of gospel culture. And from that, receive encouragement from God 
explore life together. Let's pray. God, there's certainly many things that might be heavy on our heads and our hearts this morning. We may be feeling discouragement because we have been through a ringer of overwhelming circumstances. And we may be here feeling adrift. We may be here feeling unknown. Whatever it might be, oh Lord, would you draw near? For those who are here with us that have a broken heart, feel crushed in spirit. We pray that you would draw near to the brokenhearted and save the crushed in spirit. For those who are fearing, feeling far from you, uh, we, would, we pray that they would know that your nearness is closer than that of a brother or a sister or a mother or a father. Those of us here who are thankful for all of the kinds of joys and trials in life. I pray that we would continue to grow in gratitude and trust and hope in you. In all of these things and more that could be said, I pray that our hearts, our minds, our very lives would be fixed to all that we believe and see in you. You've revealed to us through your word and that we would see with each other a source of encouragement, comfort, strength, equipping for all that we face in life. Help us to be a place where gospel encouragements are on the regular. And we ask this all for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.